The Thanksgiving and Advent seasons are here. What are you thankful for, and is your heart in the right state for Advent? We'll continue our series on the sacraments and our Grow in Love, Grow in Faith listener mailbag segment. All this and more coming up next. Welcome to A View from the Top with Bishop Gregory Parks, Bishop of the Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is a candid and hopeful conversation on current events that affect our church, our community, and our country. Now, here's Bishop Parks and the General Manager of Spirit FM, John Morris. Good to see you again, Bishop. John, happy Thanksgiving and good to be with you. Happy Thanksgiving to you. And what'd you do for Thanksgiving? I actually had dinner with my brother, but not on Thanksgiving Day. Okay. Uh, we had dinner together a couple days before that, because that's what our schedules would allow. And then I took a short trip after that, so did a little bit of traveling. Good for you. What are you thankful for? Well, you know, first of all, as a person, I mean, there's so many things to be thankful for. I think, uh, first of all, the gift of faith, you know, that I received at my baptism and uh, a faith that fills me with hope for my life and for the future and fills me with joy. So that's one thing. Very thankful that God called me to be a priest and uh, thankful I had the courage <laughs> to yeah. say yes to his call. And, um, and then he called me to be a bishop and continues to guide me and bless me in that ministry that I now enjoy. So uh, many, many blessings, John, in my life. We got to experience some of those those blessings at the cathedral recently for the St. Jude Medal Ceremony. A lot of people courageously living the gospel. Amen. I can say that again. You know, we, we just had the awarding or the conferral of the uh, St. Jude Medals, and for our listeners who may not know, this is an annual event at which we recognize parishioners, so usually one or two individuals from each parish who have exemplified outstanding service and ministry to their parish community and to the church. So we come to the cathedral, we pray evening prayer, and then I have the the great honor of presenting them with the St. Jude medal, which is actually a medallion with the image of St. Jude on it, and uh, thanking them for their ministry and their service. You know, there's a lot of people that work in our parishes and ministries that you know, often they do the work because not for self-glorification, but because that's what God has called them to do for the love of man. But yet when they receive these medals, it can be an emotional time. Very emotional. I Again, I'm the one who presents the medal to them. So when they come up to receive it, some of them have tears in their eyes, and you can just tell that they're, they're filled with emotion and filled with gratitude. They, they don't seek to be recognized for what they do. That's not why they do it, but they humbly accept that recognition. And also, I think, realize that their example can inspire others to greater service and ministry in the church. As we enter the Advent season, uh, you've started a new video project, the Advent Prayer Project. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So our, uh, I met with our uh, Director of Communications, Teresa Peterson, and uh, she proposed this to me as uh, something we could do for this Advent season. And basically what the Advent Prayer Project is, is that every day we'll be broadcasting audio and perhaps video and video, and video, video I believe, yep. each day a prayer, a short prayer, usually less than 30 seconds, but just a thought for the day, a spiritual thought in prayer, which is based on the daily readings, just again to try to keep us focused during this time of year when there's so many distractions. So uh, we'll be publishing those in different places, and you can also sign up for it through our diocese. Yep, go to dosp.org. I believe as that, as we record this today, it's on the homepage. Now that may change. We're always changing and keeping things current. You can also go to adventprayerproject.org, adventprayerproject.org. 
what is Advent? So Advent is a time of preparation. The, the word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming. And of course, what we celebrate is the coming of Jesus Christ in two ways, John. So first of all, we, we recognize and celebrate, remember his coming in history. Of course, as a small child born into our world, to Mary and Joseph, we celebrate his presence among us in mystery. And we look forward to his second coming in glory at the end of time. So again, it's a season of preparation to celebrate these different comings of Jesus Christ. So it's like preparing your home for a big birthday party that's coming at the end of the month, technically. But also we have to not just set up the house for decorations, but we have to set up our our soul, for as you say, for his second coming, because we know not the hour or time. So during this season of Advent, it's good for us to do a little bit of house cleaning, right? Not just in the the, the actual sense right. of preparing for the hom- holidays <laughs> and if we're going to be welcoming family or friends in for a stay or for a party, we want to make sure our house is clean and in order. It's the same with our spiritual lives, with our soul. You know, sometimes we need to do some spiritual house cleaning, and uh, Advent is a great time to do that, uh, which could possibly include, you know, going to the sacrament of reconciliation, of confession. Uh, what a great way to celebrate Christmas by um, once again greeting our newborn Lord uh, with a clean heart and with a clean soul. I want to get to that topic in a moment. There are four weeks in Advent, and one of them is called Gaudete, is that right? Gaudete Sunday? Yes, Gaudete Sunday. Is that how you say Latin yeah. again? I don't know my Latin very well. Sure. What does that mean? So the word Gaudete, uh, which we celebrate Gaudete Sunday on the third Sunday of Advent, uh, means to rejoice. And what we rejoice in is that the Lord is near. Okay. Uh, he's nearer than he was yesterday, and he's nearer than he was the day before. And so we begin that uh, final week of Advent uh, with joy in our hearts, knowing that the coming of Jesus Christ at his birth and his coming in glory uh, are both nearer than they were. Looking at the four weeks of Advent, when we do look at the readings as we prepare our hearts, sometimes the Old Testament readings are a little off, they, 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 at least at, at first glance. Some, you know, you hear the readings from Isaiah, but, but there's others that um, sort of run parallel. Uh, you, and, and as we get closer to Christmas, we start hearing about John the Baptist proclaiming the Lord's coming as well. Uh, it, it's an interesting look. As, so I would encourage you, when you go to Mass, try to put the, the gospel readings with the Old Testament readings, and you might see a tie-in in there. So to make kind of an analogy, what we do with the readings during Advent is to kind of set the stage, right, for the, for the final production, for the, for, the, for the big event. And the readings kind of lead up to that, as you mentioned, through the prophets and what they foretold through John the Baptist, who was the greatest of the prophets and the last of the prophets who prepared the way for the Lord. And then, of course, the actual um, biblical account of the birth of our Lord and how that occurred. So it's kind of a progressive process of reading from the Bible and preparing the stage for, for that big event. Around around the 17th or 18th of December is when we actually start getting into that Christmas story that we've all grown grown up with and grown to love. Uh, the other ones are, are dealing with more of the Old Testament, and you're figuring, okay, well, wh- how does this tie in? But it all, all those p- puzzle pieces come together on that Christmas Eve. Yes, they sure do, and it all makes sense, doesn't it? That's right. You mentioned confession a little bit ago and reconciliation as part of the Advent preparation. Tell us about confession. 
Why is it one of the seven sacraments? Because it was established by the Lord himself, which is the definition of a, a sacrament. It's an outward or a visible sign established by Jesus Christ, which gives us God's grace. And the grace that's given to us in the sacrament of reconciliation is, of course, his mercy and his forgiveness. And who doesn't want that? So in the Bible, uh, we read that Jesus gave uh, the power to forgive sins to his apostles. He said, whose sins you forgive are forgiven, whose sins you retain are retained. And then also in the letter of James, we read, you know, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. So we are fulfilling what the Lord commanded in celebrating the sacrament which he instituted for our benefit. The reason that we do go to an individual is that uh, it is our belief and our faith that Jesus Christ gave the power to forgive sins to priests and priests alone. So people might ask, well, why can't God just forgive my sins? Well, God does forgive your sins, but it's through the ministry of the priest and the ministry of the church that those sins are forgiven. And I, I don't know about everyone, but in my own life, I find there's something very therapeutic, something very healthy about actually vocalizing your sins and confessing them to another person, uh, rather than just doing it like in quiet or in the silence of your heart or your mind. I think there's something very healthy about actually getting that out, so to speak. Well, and part of it too, I think, is if you've, especially if you've wronged somebody else, it's awfully hard to admit when you're wrong or when you've done something that has caused someone else great pain. So when you can go to that person and truly be repentant of it, there is something, there's a release there. It, it just makes you feel a little bit better. It, it may hurt at first, you know, to get the courage to do that. You know, John, we, we're all different, right? We come from different places, we speak different languages, we look different. But the one thing that we all have in common is that we're sinners. To my knowledge, the only one among us who was never a sinner, well, two actually, was uh, Mary, who's the mother of God, And of course, Jesus Christ himself. Mary remains sinless throughout her life. And of course, Jesus is God himself. So each one of us uh, is a sinner, and we hold that in common. So we do need to, when we're wrong, we need to ask for forgiveness. And when others approach us in their sorrow or repentance, we need to be ready to offer forgiveness. It can be intimidating, though, to go to a priest. I know the first time I went, man, I sat in the car for a long time. I wasn't no part of it. But as you said, it was therapeutic once I started, but then I just collapsed into tears, and that was the end. And, and it's still, I mean, to, even to this day, it's, it's hard, but after you're done, you feel a lot better about it. Well, John, I, I would share that with you. I mean, to be honest, I'm a bishop. Um, I have to go to confession. In fact, just went recently when I was up in Baltimore for the uh, bishop's meeting. The last day of the conference, they always bring in confessors from the local churches or religious communities, and it's an opportunity for the bishops to celebrate uh, reconciliation before they return home. And I always avail myself of that, and it feels good to do that. But yeah, it's a little bit scary, you know, and uh, uh, I don't know that we ever get over that other than I, I would say when we're done, when we're finished making our confession and receive God's forgiveness, boy, doesn't it feel good. Well, and there's something beautiful too when when I'm sure that you've probably experienced it, and I know a number of our our clergy have when you're in the confessional and someone comes to the confessional and says, Father, it's been 30 years. How does that make you feel as a bishop? (laughs) Well, I would say those are some of the um, 
most memorable and special confessions that you have, uh, you know, individuals that have been away from the sacrament, as you said, for 20, 30, 40 even 50 years, John, you know, and uh, one of the great blessings of being a priest, one of the things that we have a privilege of doing is being that person that uh, is able to forgive sins. So what I'm saying is that I have seen people leave the confessional or the reconciliation room a different person than they came in. They walk through that door burdened and weighed down by sin, and after making a good confession— a thorough confession, and then receiving absolution and God's grace, uh, they're like a whole new person. They're, they're, they found a whole new freedom in their life, and uh, there's such joy and happiness there. You said something, and I, I always judge myself when I go to the confessional. Did I make a good confession? What, what is it that makes a good confession? I think a good confession is one where we have taken the time before we celebrate the sacrament to do a good examination of conscience. So we take the time to look at our lives, the reality of our lives, in light of how God has called us to live our lives. And when we're able to identify those areas where we're falling short, things we're not doing that we should be doing, that's the material that makes up makes for a good confession. So it's, a, it's just a very honest and open uh, exchange, you know, between the penitent and the priest. We should hold nothing back. Uh, in fact, for it to be actually a valid confession, we need to confess all of our serious sins, all of our mortal sins, not not just the ones we want to, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, but anything that's on our heart that we know is a, a serious sin or a mortal sin, uh, we do need to confess that. And the mortal sins are basically what bring about the Ten Commandments. Well, sure, violating one of the Ten Commandments uh, certainly would be a mortal sin, and then, but sometimes there's circumstances which could mitigate our culpability or responsibility, uh, but it's always good to, to speak with a priest in the sacrament about that. And I would say, when in doubt, confess it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is there a typical time? I know that some Saturdays, you know, you want to try to move things along, but if you hadn't been there for a while, you know, and I'm t- thinking about the person who might be listening on the radio who hasn't been there, and they're feeling that pressure. Yeah. So, John, you talk to any priest, and they'll be able to describe to you various types of penitents or people that okay. come in for the sacrament. You now have some, we're getting into it now. You have, some, <laughs> you have some that are just quick. I mean, they just want to get in and out. They make a good confession, but they're not looking for counseling not looking for a lot of advice. They'll confess their sins and say, you know, penance and absolution, please. <laughs> and they just want to get in and out, and that's fine. You know, there's nothing nothing wrong with that. But then you have other individuals that want to come in and talk. And not only are they looking for forgiveness, but they're looking for, in essence, some counseling. And it's not always uh, easy, or we're not always able to do that because of time constraints. If you're a priest who has uh, hearing confessions before celebrating Mass, you might feel the pressure to have to get ready for Mass. So you, you kind of try to move things along a little bit. But yeah, with somebody that hasn't been to the sacrament for many years, you don't want to rush that. You want to make sure that it's a, a good good experience and a good confession. So as we wrap up this topic, find a local Catholic church in your area. If you're, if you're a Catholic that hasn't been to confession in a while, you don't want to do it. Find a neighboring one if you're worried about your priest knowing your secrets. <laughs> And check out the schedule. There'll be extra Advent services, I'm sure, around the diocese. So, so stay tuned to Spirit FM and check the diocesan website for that. And, and John, I would just also mention that sometimes people are afraid because they don't remember the act of contrition 
or right. if they haven't been in for a while, they don't know exactly what to say. I would just share that with the priest. When you go into the sacrament, say, Father, you know, it's been a while since I've been here. Could you help me? Uh, could you assist me to make a good confession? I don't remember the act of contrition. Uh, well, he'll lead you through it, and he'll guide you through it to make a good confession. Let's jump now to our Growing in Love, Growing in Faith series, our listener mailbag. And this kind of jumps into this similar topic here. We had a listener write, I have a manipulative thief for a brother that has spent the better part of his adult life in prison, and he has messed up yet again and is back a third time in prison. Does he still deserve forgiveness, even if all he does is hurt everyone around him? Does the Catholic Church still forgive, even if he continues over and over to break the law? Yeah. That's a great question, and uh, I would just I remember the the saying that we are called to uh, to love the sinner, uh, but to hate the sin, right? So we we don't condone the sin, we don't like it, uh, but if somebody is truly repentant, we're called to forgive them from our heart. And it's seventy times seven, as I recall, exactly the uh, scripture. Perfect forgiveness. Listener writes: I've been Catholic all my life, attended Catholic schools, and worked in Catholic schools. I don't know my Bible nearly as well as I feel I should. Why is it that Catholics don't learn Bible verses as many of our fellow Christian brothers and sisters? Our Catholic schools do not require students to learn Bible verses like other Christian schools. Can you talk about this on your show? You are a great bishop, and we're happy that you are here. <laughs> well, thank you for those kind <laughs> words. And, uh, you know, you, the listener is exactly right. Uh, Catholics are kind of Bible deficient, don't, aren't we? You know, in terms of the Word of God, we uh, we don't know the Bible as much as we should. And I think part of the reason for that is while we study Scripture and you know religion when we're in school, we don't memorize like Bible verses or stories and things of that nature. And also, unfortunately. Most of the time, the most uh, of the word of God that people receive is when they come to mass. Right. So if you're coming to mass, yeah, if you're coming to mass on Sunday and you're hearing the readings from the scriptures, but that's the only time you're hearing them, you're kind of starving yourself on God's word. Much of the Eucharistic prayer is uh, based on on scripture. Our responses, uh, generally, all of them are based on some form of scripture, biblical uh, scripture. But but you're right. You know, sometimes with when I'm with a, a Protestant brother or sister, a friend, and they'll fire out a scripture or they'll say, "What is your life verse?" I'm like, uh, Philippians <laughs> four thirteen, uh, John three sixteen. I don't know. Uh, you you duped me, oh Lord, and I let myself be duped. <laughs> uh, Jesus wept. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I know I need to do a better job of that too, and. But also, each of our parishes, most every parish offers a great Bible study of some type as a ministry, and um, either one of the priests will lead it, or a, a trained layperson at the parish will lead the, the Bible study. There's some uh, wonderful video uh, DVD kind of presentations uh, that they use. So uh, again, we need, to, we need to, to, to feast on God's Word and not fast on it. This was sent in from a faith formation instructor. A student asked, if Jesus sits at the right hand of God, who sits on the left? I told the students I would check. In Matthew 20, 20 to 23, the mother of James and John asked Jesus to allow her sons to sit, one on the left and one on the right. Jesus replies, my cup you will indeed drink, but to sit at my right and my left is not mine to give, but those for whom it has been prepared for by my father. 
So the teacher says, do I reply to my students that it is for God to decide, and while on earth we will not know, or have I missed something? <laughs> a deep question. That is a deep question, John, and uh, I'm not sure I have a deep answer for you other than to uh, to say the church and tradition uh, typically recognizes that our Blessed Mother, uh, Mary, sits with the Father and, and with the Son. And very much in, in terms of liturgical art, uh, you'll see God the Father, however he's depicted, uh, with our Lord Jesus Christ uh, on his right, and uh, usually the Blessed Mother on his left. And that's a uh, a, a tradition that that we we follow and believe in the Catholic Church, and why why wouldn't she be there? Sure, uh, she who was conceived without sin and remained sinless throughout her life, uh, she was most perfectly prepared uh, to be with God the Father and with his, her Son. How do we explain the final judgment when we're at a funeral? We state that the liturgy, we state in the liturgy that the person has been received by the angels in paradise. How does that jive with um, purgatory and going straight to heaven, that kind of thing? Right. So um, we believe that when our earthly journey is finished, while our bodies, our physical bodies remain here in, in this earth, our souls, our spirit go to God. And we receive a um, uh, what we call a particular judgment at that time from God for what we have done and what we have failed to do. Those that are not prepared yet to meet God because of their attachment to sin or previous sins, we believe that those souls are in purgatory. The good news is that we can help them and assist them with our prayers and with our good works, with our sacrifices and with our penances, and by offering the holy sacrifice of the Mass for them. As I often say, the good news about going to purgatory is that eventually you're going to make it to heaven, whereas if you go to hell, there's no chance of that. That's eternal separation from God and from his love. So we do receive a a particular judgment when we pass from this world, and then there'll be a a general judgment, uh, a universal judgment upon creation uh, at the end of time. Well, as we begin this Advent season, let us close with a prayer that we all may be uh, in preparation for the celebration of Jesus and for for Jesus' second coming. God, our Father, as we enter into this holy season, we ask that you may help us and assist us and guide us, that we may prepare our minds, our hearts, and our souls to celebrate your Son's coming at Christmas, and that we may prepare ourselves for his second coming in glory at the end of time. We ask all of these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. For more with Bishop Parks, including past programs, his social media accounts, and ways to subscribe to this podcast, visit dosp.org bishop. A View from the Top is a production of Spirit FM 90.5 and the Communications Office of the Catholic Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is made possible by the annual Pastoral Appeal and listeners like you. Thank you for your support.